Welcome to season four of the For Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wilcox, and one of the elders here at Redemption Church Gateway. This season, we are going to explore the cultural trends of Gen Z. Why? Well, as the church with the mission to make disciples, we want to discover how we can best connect with them, understand their unique challenges, and learn from them as we ultimately walk together towards Jesus. So who are Generation Z or Gen Z? These are pre-teens and young adults born between 1997 and 2012, with an age range of 10 to 25 compared to millennials, with an age range of 26 to 41. Here are some cultural and historical touch points, yeah, just for reference. Most were born after 9-11. The oldest member of Gen Z was 7 when Facebook started and 10 years old when the first iPhone launched. The youngest member of Gen Z was born when Marvel released the first Avenger movie, roughly 10 years ago. On this episode, we're going to explore social media and technology ooh, that are popular and shaping this generation today. We have three guests to share their thoughts and opinions. Welcome. Please give us your first name and age. My name is Jacob, and I am 22. My name is Kira, and I'm 20 years old. My name is Ashlyn, and I'm 17. All right. Welcome, all three of you. So before we get to social media, which I'm sure most of us want to really understand and hear your guys' thoughts. Let's talk a little bit about technology. So to provide a definition for this kind of umbrella term, I'm referencing smartphones, non-social media apps, computers, streaming devices, Amazon, smart devices like Alexa, Roku, smartwatches, smart thermostats, autonomous vehicles. That is a lot of technology. So that's kind of what I mean by the blanket term technology. So um, what is your general opinion about technology that I just referenced? I love it. I absolutely love it because we use it in everything, especially in school, which I remember when school was only pen and paper and having technology has been incredible. Um, at home, it's also great. I can't imagine not being able to watch movies after school. So <laughs> true, true. Nice. <laughs> Honestly, I would say um, I really respect technology. I, I agree. Like it's it's really hard to live without. I love movies. I love TV. I love texting my friends. But um, I definitely don't love technology. Um, I'm not good with it. First of all, but then second of all, I just, geez, I I prefer paper for sure. Like it's hard for me. So yeah. I would be more on the negative side, but I respect it. Jacob? Yeah, I think I have a healthy wariness towards technology. Uh, one of my favorite um, kind of analogies about how to view technology comes from uh, Neil Postman in an article in uh, 1998. He was saying that like we should view technological change as ecological change. He was saying, um, what happens when you put a drop of red dye in a beaker of clear water? He's like, you don't just have a, a, a droplet of red dye suspended in clear water. It colors the entire thing and i think he was talking about that's how we should view technological change is that you know when a new technology is introduced it changes uh, our entire environment and so i'm a little bit wary of you know, when people bring up new technologies because i'm like this is going to change everything oh like the iphone yeah i mean that really i mean smartphones iphones uh, really change everything mm -hmm. uh, some things i thought at the beginning were great and then some things i'm like mm, maybe not so great well how do you see personally, I mean, you talked, Ashlyn, you already said it a little bit, but how do you kind of personally see it as, more, do you see it more positive in a more of a positive light or negative light? I mean, like I said before, definitely negative. Um, 
Yeah, it's just like I feel like it's mostly your usability. Like it could be my fault, but at the same time, um, I just I don't know. I I've had so many experiences with friends or um, family where I'm trying to talk with them, have a conversation, and I feel like the phone just kind of gets in the way, you know. So I I have a little bit more of a negative view. Oh, okay. There's definitely the potential for good. Yeah, absolutely. But in this world, everything. Um, that's been broken and touched by sin can absolutely go wrong. And I think we see that a ton, especially in our generation. Totally. Yeah. 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 If I were to have to put a net positive or a net negative on it, I would say net negative, but um, yeah, I absolutely see that there is tremendous value in a lot of technology and there's so true. just great capacity for, you know, for positive change in the world. So how do you see your parents? Do you see your parents as um, tech savvy or tech illiterate? Well, um, I'm on a podcast uh, being recorded by my dad, so um, mostly tech savvy. I mean, I don't yeah. think I've really ever had to help my dad with really any technology. Not so. yet. True. It's coming, I'm sure. <laughs> True. Ashton, what about your family? I would say my parents are much more technological savvy than my sisters and I are, much to their dismay, oh, wow. actually. Yeah, oh, so really? if the HDMI cord gets unplugged from the TV, we're completely useless. One of my <laughs> sisters understands how that works, yeah. and the rest of us have to ask our parents or Google it. Yeah. That's wow. funny. So compared to your friends, would you consider yourself tech savvy or tech illiterate? Illiterate. Same. Definitely <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, uh, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm mostly tech savvy. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm really big on solving problems. And so if there's a problem that arises, I want to fix it. But so how did you see technology kind of modeled in your home? So I'm the oldest. So I was the first with any, uh, technology, technology, like phones and a laptop, things like that. But my parents, I'd say they use it very responsibly compared to a lot of families that I know of. Um, they've always modeled for us exactly what they want us to do. So mm-hmm. their social media usage actually stopped. They don't have social media anymore either, but nice. they were very responsible in making sure that it never took dominance over their time with us. Yeah. And That's then great. with TV and things like that, they were also very responsible. Yeah. Mm. Kira, Jacob. Yeah. I feel like for us, at least growing up, I mean, um, when I was in elementary school and I think maybe a little junior high, I'm not really sure. Um, we mostly had the the flip phones and stuff like that. So I feel like the phones weren't really an issue. I mean, we had TVs in the house, but the way I would put it is I feel like when there was time for technology, there was time for technology. And when there was time to just be like together, eat food, whatever, um, technology was away. It was kind of like when we want to watch a movie, we're all going to gather around. But otherwise, I, I don't think it really like got too entangled, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Um, I think a little bit of a different angle on it is um, uh, when when new technologies were coming out, I think um, uh, my dad and mom were more um, excited, especially my dad. Um, when there's something new coming out, he's, you know, he's generally excited about it. And so I think that put more of a positive spin on, mm-hmm. on technology in our house. So what was the policy in your home around smartphones versus dumb phones? So Kira, you talked about the flip phone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nowadays it feels like you can walk around uh, an elementary school and see kids with full on absolutely iPhone 13s. Yeah. Seriously. But that wasn't always the case. So what was, what was the kind of the policy or, and did you agree with it kind of in within your home in terms of like the first phone you got? So Ashton, was the first phone you got a dumb phone or a flip phone or was it a smartphone? It was an iPhone touch. So it could text with Wi-Fi, oh. just my oh, sisters nice. and my parents. And I think my grandma, 
Okay. And then, but it couldn't do anything other than that. And I think I played Pet Hotel on it was <laughs> mostly what nice. I used it for. But I never felt entitled to a phone ever. And I think that comes from me being the oldest out of all the grandkids, all the cousins, and all my siblings. So I've never seen anybody older than myself in my family with mm. a smartphone except uh, for my parents. Yeah. So the first time I got a phone that had cellular and could text anybody outside of just our house was the first day of seventh grade because my mom handed it to me and said, hey, you're going to need to text me where you are after school because there's not a driveline like there was in elementary. Mm. So she was the one that had to give it to me. I never felt like I deserved one or needed one. Right, right. Yeah, I know we had the, I don't remember what it was for you, Jacob, but for me it was, um, I didn't get one until I think my sophomore year of high school, an iPhone. Oh, wow. I had a a flip phone up until then. Yeah, I mean, I I remember when I got, first time my first cell phone, it was when I was 13. It was a dumb phone. Um, I could text whoever I wanted. There's no like getting onto the internet or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, first first smartphone, yeah, was sometime in high school. Mm-hmm. I, I can't pinpoint it, but it, it was something around the junior or senior year of high school. So, do you think your your experience in your home with smartphones uh, will influence the way that you kind of think about smartphones when you guys start having kids? One hundred percent. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. Do you have something that already in kind of in mind of like, okay, they're not going to get a smartphone smartphone until they're thirteen, or we're going to have these types of kind of restrictions, or like, well, like anything that's kind of you're you're already kind of formulating for your kids in terms of technology or or smartphones. Yeah, I feel like I've thought about this a lot because just me personally, I've had such a like love hate relationship with my phone. Um, and I don't know if, uh, if dumb phones are going to be around when I'm a parent. So it's going to be weird to figure out like what the solution is. Um, but I definitely hope to have them grow up at least, I mean, to junior high without having to deal with, um, owning a smartphone. I just feel like it's extremely unhealthy, but Mm. I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll probably explore some of that here in a minute. What about Ashlyn? Same. Uh, I actually had coffee with one of my friends this week and we spent an hour or two discussing how we're going to have kids and still be able to lament with them when their friends all have phones because you really can't mm. be removed from that yeah. outside of, I mean, the church and a yeah. few other families, but also trying to keep them away from what a lot of society is dealing with right now, totally. the negative aspects of having a phone. Totally. Yeah. Um, so on last season, uh, we were talking about work, and one of the guests talked about how the younger generation's use of technology really seems to make them very productive because we were talking about the 40 hour work week or, or more. And he kind of alluded that your generation's ability to use technology really allowed you to be more efficient in within work. Um, So do you feel like technology actually makes you more productive or less productive? That's such a fascinating question. I mean, I, I'm the kind of person who, um, when I think about how I work, there are certain like technological supports that I use in terms of like, okay, if I'm sitting down to write a paper for school um, or if I'm doing something for my job, I definitely got music going, um, you know, or, or I'm listening to a podcast. Most of the work that I've been doing over the past five years has all been on a computer screen. Um, and it's been, uh, you know, either writing a paper. Um, I, I, I've never written a paper, um, you know, fully you know, by my hand. Um, I mean, even, you know, I write poetry, even when I write poetry, I'm often doing on my notes app I'm on my phone or if I'm, you know, I'm writing in a, in a, in a, in a Google doc. So. I think it's definitely made me more productive in terms of being efficient 
in writing school papers and doing schoolwork and getting in contact with coworkers. But I don't know if that's been to my detriment. So what I'm doing for school may be, might be better, but I'm also losing, I think, a lot of the thought that the past generation had to put into schoolwork. So I have access to everything the internet has access to when yeah. I do anything at school. So I think that comes with a lot of me having to do less thinking. Mm. So net positive and me being able to get good grades and do my assignments <laughs> faster. I don't know if that's right. been harmful to my yeah. learning process, though. I don't know. Kira makes it more productive or less productive? Technology. Definitely less, 100%. Um, just goes back to the idea that I just don't I don't like doing anything on the computer. Like, I don't know what it is, but if I have to fill out a form on the computer versus the paper, I could do the paper in, like, five minutes. The form online is going to take me, like, a week and a half to build up the courage to do it because I hate it. <laughs> and it's not even harder for me. It's just I think it's harder for me to focus and feel... I don't really know. I, I don't know what it is. So definitely, definitely less productive. So I think that would be like a, miscon- a misconception that most of us in the older generation would think is that all of your generation loves technology. You're great at technology. You're all, com- you know, tech savvy. You, you know, all the apps, you know how to do everything on the computer, but that's not always true. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. What else about technology frustrates you? Like anything you're like, oh, this is such a pain or I don't like this or it's hard to use or I don't like being accessible at like 24 hours I don't like people expecting me to have to respond to them in Mm -hmm. two minutes so just because I see your message I kind of take the position that I'm not going to respond to you immediately because I shouldn't have to totally that's a good one right back in the day you had to call somebody you actually had to get in touch with them or you had to meet up for coffee to talk with them I do not like people expecting me to respond to them within 30 seconds of me seeing their message Mm, that's Mm. a great that's been incredibly frustrating during high school that does sound frustrating yeah Um, yeah, I think for myself, um, I get, um, I'm, I'm I'm not really frustrated by it. I I, I am, uh, more anxious about it. Um, I'm just generally a more anxious person anyway. Um, but the amount of information I have just at my fingertips, Mm -hmm. um, going back to the question of like, when I have children, I am terrified at how much they will have at their fingertips at any moment. Mm -hmm. Um, they're, why is that terrifying? Well, I I mean, I, I mean, Porn is so easily accessible, number one. Like, that, that is also so scary. Uh, but we're also seeing, um, you know, you, you could be in a fairly what you believe to be, like, a neutral space. Um, you, could, you could be on Reddit or playing video games, and all of a sudden there's this, um, like, sort of political, like, what's, what's being called, like, a pipeline of, um, you know, you're in certain spaces, and all of a sudden you're hearing a lot of political rhetoric, and it's just moving you, driving you towards having certain beliefs. I mean, a huge one is in sort of video game culture where you have this alt-right pipeline where all of a sudden you're just hearing mm. incredibly misogynistic um, uh, uh, language towards women. You have um, just also this um, uh, language that's moving towards sort of like a, um, a radical libertarianism where you should be able to do and have whatever you want. Mm. So um, the access of potentially damaging information. That's, that's what you're referencing. Absolutely. Not the ability to, you know, find out who won the 1932 no, no. <laughs> World Series <laughs> right. trivia. If yeah. You're, yeah, trivia. What, what, Kira, anything else besides filling out forms that frustrates, about, frustrates you about technology? Honestly, just anything when it comes to... I'm just, I just... I don't enjoy it. Um, I can't think of anything super specific other than that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What fascinates you about technology? Is there anything right now, either we're getting like little glimpses of it or or even just something that you've seen on movies that you think, oh, that could be uh, something that's a reality in my lifetime? Like anything about technology just f- 
really explodes your imagination? I'd like to, like, the first thing that comes to mind is I love Star Trek. I've seen a little bit of it, at least. And everything that they've predicted in Star Trek has come true and come to fruition. So we have flat screen TVs. We have cell phones. I'm really hoping something that makes food happens in the next 100,000 years. That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be cool. But I do think technology is incredible. I'm so excited to see what we do with it in the next 50 years. If my kids will even learn how to drive a car, I have no idea. Yeah. Things like that. Uh, If we get nuclear energy, if that becomes a predominant form of energy, I'm fascinated by that stuff. But it still seems... A very far, very far long-term yeah. thing for us to completely change. But Kira, Jacob, anything fascinate you about technology? I'm With- fascinated about um, sort of environmental problem-solving technology. You know, we have I'm, on my TikTok feed constantly, I'm seeing people who are, um, you know, uh, inventing new things to help clean the ocean or, um, you know, uh, you know, pushing the fashion industry towards more like sustainable technologies. I, I People who are using the technologies that I would see as a net negative and, uh, but, but, but they're pushing it towards uh, us having a more, um, yeah, just a healthier environment. Yeah. Kira. Um, I'm so sorry. What was the question? Uh, anything about technology that really fascinates you or that is kind of exciting right. your imagination? Definitely. Um, even though I get frustrated with sometimes, I think, um, for me, the biggest thing is like how creatives have been able to use technology, I love, um, like, just art and design and seeing people use art, you know, um, what's it called, procreate and um, all that type of stuff to create, like, new types of art, maybe new mediums. And, um, yeah, I think that's super cool. I, I'm not going to ever be proficient in that type of stuff, but I love seeing other people do it. I love art, so. Yeah. So uh, kind of last question around technology. Any, um, I guess, advice or insight that you would give to the church as a whole or church leadership in regards to your generation and technology? I think I have, a, I have an interesting one that I don't know if young people would all agree with, but um, this is at least my, my perspective. Um, I think a lot of, of the older generations think that young people um, are obsessed with technology, kind of like you said, like they're all super amazing at it. They know um, what it's about and they love it so much, um, which is, I think, generally true. But when it comes to teaching them and leading them, I feel like kids really do yearn to have spaces that are away from technology, um, like camps and things like that. I mean, that stuff is really refreshing. And I remember even like me and my girlfriends would all talk about how nice it was to not be on our phones. So I think we do crave spaces that, you know, technology is not around. Um, so yeah. And just like emphasis on community. So, oh gosh, I love that. What else? What else, what else would you advice you'd give to the church as a whole or, or our church leadership around your generation of technology? There is a security in modeling. So when adults use their technology responsibly, that is incredibly encouraging to us. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of teenagers will put on the act that we don't want our parents to try to get involved with technology, but we really, I think do want them to be proficient with it and comfortable with it and not afraid of it. There's such an anxiety that surrounds technology and social media that if parents are medicating themselves with their own technology, that's really not encouraging to us. It's frightening. Oh yeah. So if parenting, if parents in particular and other adults in the church can start to use their technology responsibly, and if they don't want their kids being on technology, being willing to have family time and creating activities outside of just being on your phone or TV, if parents can lead the way in that. I think that'll be an incredible Mm. New wave point. of oh, great. responsible technology use. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would. I'm, I'm, I'm more of an academic, and so I, I would, you know, give the advice of really, um, when the church is at a decision point of, you know, adopting a new technology, 
uh, really taking that as a moment of of prayer and reflection and really, really considering whether or not it's worth, you know, adopting a new technology. I mean, um, you know, in one of my communications classes, we were talking about the shift that happened um, in churches when they went from sort of in-hand printed hymnals to looking at a screen um, where there was projected lyrics and how that changed worship fundamentally. Um, I mean, I, I, a, a huge one is we used to have a really musically proficient culture. Um, a, a lot of that was due to the fact that hymnals have printed sheet music and you would be able to identify, oh, we're all singing this note and I'm looking at this note. And so most people were familiar with sheet music and we've just moved away from that. And almost no one can read sheet music now, except unless you're taking music lessons. Um, and so that is an environmental shift that should be considered, you know, before adopting a new technology, even, even if it seems like it's going to save money or if it is going to, um, you know, make things uh, faster. Um, we need to consider what the cultural change is going to be. Mm. So to summarize uh, for the church, find uh, opportunities to create kind of technology free spaces for people to, for kids to kind of, decompress and get away from screens and get away from technology, healthy modeling from parents and adults in terms of their use of technology. And then Jacob said to kind of prayerfully consider the technologies as the church that we should adopt and really try to understand, um, you know, the potential implications of adopt adopting the technology. That's great. Thank you. Um, Social media, social media, a simple definition uh, are websites and applications that enable users to create and share content or to participate in social networking. In 2021, there are 4.4 billion people actively using social media in the world, and this is an increase of 13% year over year from two, or 3.7 billion in 2020. I think a lot of people were using social media during the lockdown. Back in 2015, there were only 20 billion users. That's an in, overall increase in users of 115% in six years. That is pretty incredible. I re, uh, in a recent study um, that ranked the top social media platforms, Facebook, still on top, close to 3 billion active users, YouTube, 2.5 billion, WhatsApp, 2 billion Instagram, 1.5 billion. WeChat, 1.2 billion. And something called the TikTok <laughs> at oh 1 gosh. billion users. Um, I, I think it's over a billion by now. But um, so the big question do you use social media, Jacob? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mentioned my TikTok feed. Yes, not all of them, but yes. <laughs> no. But I am on YouTube, so I guess by that definition, then I watch YouTube videos. But the well, ones where you interact with with followers and stuff, no. Well, so so that's a, that was a question actually that I don't have prepared, but I was thinking about it. Do you consider YouTube a, a kind of social media, or do you see it almost as just another media channel? It's almost like another channel on cable TV or a streaming device. Like, do you actually see? I, and I know it is social media, but I mean, in your eyes, do you see it as social media or do you just see it as another channel of, of information uh, and entertainment? I think, I think it's social media, um, uh, well, at least I view it as it is, because um, so many people, um, I, I think something that fundamentally defines social media is wanting to engage. 
Um, and I think, um, although it is a lot of passive engagement, right, just kind of watching somebody, you know, react to something or watching somebody play video games or whatever, that is still engagement. Um, but you also have massive engagement in comment sections. And I think also a part of um, like YouTube's ethos is like wanting people to create their own content. Yeah. Um, and so if you're a YouTube content creator, that's a lot of people um, who are definitely using it as a social media platform. Yeah. Kira, do you see it as social media? YouTube? Um, I would say definitely more like a channel, just another yeah. kind of media platform, but yeah. I don't engage in it too much, so that's probably why. Ashlyn, do you see that as social media, or do you see that as more like media? I thought it thought of it more as media, more like Netflix or YouTube. I'm just choosing something to watch. I think that's especially because I don't like videos or, you know, follow people a ton, so it's more of just Googling something I need to see for school yeah, or Googling packing for college videos. So. Totally. So, Ashlyn, you mentioned earlier about your parents not using social media. You're not using social media. So, tell us how your family kind of got there. Yeah. So, my mom and pa have used Facebook and Twitter in the past a lot. And the Facebook? Oh, the <laughs> Facebook, yes. And they, after watching The Social Dilemma, both deleted it, which was an incredible movie. Wow. Highly recommend to anybody well, that hasn't seen good. it. Cool. Yeah. Yep. And I, at the time, had Pinterest as well. And my sisters and I all deleted that because we hadn't considered that social media until we watched that movie. But that was a house rule the entire time I've grown up, I have never wanted social media. It's never been something I've pushed or any of my sisters have pushed. And my parents had to inform me the past few years that since I'm almost an adult, I do have that right to have that conversation with them, but I just, it's never appealed to me. So it's always something that my sisters and I, I think a little bit took pride in. We just liked being different from Mm -hmm. people at school, but for our family, the culture of it was we text each other, we watch YouTube together, but we just, that's not something we engage in. Yeah. Have you met other friends that, that, also have a similar kind of, I wouldn't say rule, but kind of policy within their household? Only within the last year or two. Uh, oh, since really? coming to Redemption, we've met a few. And then I'm going to Arizona Christian in the fall. And I had to go to an interview event. I was sitting at a table with about eight kids. And out of those eight kids, one person had social media. And wow. I've never seen that before ever in my entire life. That's wow, crazy. Because okay. so, pretty much it is just a something that everybody has. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, recently more often, especially because most, a lot of my friends are a few years younger. So yeah, it's uh, the house policy for a lot of us. Well, Ashley, I appreciate you sharing that. Also, I think you're just going to be valuable if, as we continue this conversation is because you'll have a little bit, I mean, you have experience with it, but you've also have kind of an outsider perspective of someone making a conscious decision not to engage in it. So mm-hmm. I think this is great. Um, Kira. So, what kind of social media do you enjoy? Because uh, I know sometimes you turn it on and then you turn it off yep. and then you put it on your phone and you need to take it off your phone. Like, <laughs> what do you enjoy? Um, well, see, I like it all. Like, I think every every social media has its pros and cons. Um, yeah, I've had Instagram, TikTok for a short while, Snapchat. Um, I feel like I've kind of tried them all out a little bit and I they're ones that I like more than others. But like, for instance, Instagram and TikTok are great examples. I think they're super fun. They're a great way to get connected to creative people, to art, um, educational material, stuff that makes you laugh. Like, it's great. And it's it's super fun to have. It's super connective, like TikTok and Instagram. You can send people funny videos and that's always fun to talk to your friends about. But um, at the same time, I feel like it's a trap because you just get caught in like a whirlwind of one procrastinating, you know, not productive, but then also um, sometimes just bad information or like bad what do you call it? like subtexts, like things that you're not really seeing, but are kind of slowly creeping in kind of like what Jacob was talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, especially on TikTok Cause it's just so fast, but Jacob, what uh, social media do you enjoy? I, I mean, I'm on TikTok, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. quite a bit. Um, you know, but I, 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 I love YouTube. Um, uh, Facebook is interesting. I, I think if you looked at like 
people who have accounts with Facebook and people who actively are, you know, engaging on Facebook is different because Facebook has kind of become like Gmail where it's a portal into other things where sure. you have to have a Facebook account in order to have other things. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I do want to point out how interesting it is that you are, uh, um, uh, Ashlyn, um, more positive technologically and don't have social media. Yeah, and Kira and I tend to be net negative in terms of technology, <laughs> but we're active users right, of right. social media. Seriously, I find that crazy. fascinating. That's very crazy. So um, how do you see social media affecting your generation? Holy cow, that is a huge question in so, so many ways. Um, I'm just going to continue talking about TikTok because I feel like to me it is the most like rapidly, I don't know, uh, transformative uh, media. It's just so quick. The, the videos are so fast and you just scroll and scroll and scroll for hours. And um, it's just a ton of random people giving their opinions and their perspectives. And I think um, once you like something, I mean, more of that shows up. So I feel like when you're on stuff like that, and I mean, Instagram's kind of similar, it's just really quickly your perspectives can start to change. It uh, doesn't matter the people you're hanging out with. If that's all you're consuming, I mean, it can really transform your mindset. And um, I don't know. I just feel like I see a lot of people in our generation being extremely passionate about things that they've only seen videos on Instagram or TikTok. And that can be really hard to engage those conversations when, you know, their background is just like videos of other people's perspectives. Um, so... Yeah, very they're like very passionate people, which is great, but passionate about what, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Ashlyn, how do you see it affecting your generation? It, I think it definitely saddens me watching my friends get involved because I've watched a lot of them get phones and download all the social media apps that they could possibly have. And I think the most like crucial thing that I've seen them do with it is they distance themselves. So suddenly they're the digitized version of themselves and they're not present anymore. So the more they engage with their social media, at least where I live and the people that I've interacted with at school, there just seems such a great chasm between them and the people they're in closest proximity to. So they lose relationships with their siblings, with their parents, because there's people online that will cater to whatever beliefs they have. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just been a little bit of a little bit of sadness watching that. But at the same time, I've seen people thrive with it for the most part. Like they claim to thrive with it. I don't know. Right. Uh, but for me, it was also just watching it with healthy caution. Like I, I wish people the best with it. Um, I know there are healthy users of it, but I was always fearful of my thinking that I would be the exception. And one of my favorite quotes is that you're just as unique as everybody else. So I didn't <laughs> think that that was something I wanted to risk. Yeah. But yeah, a little bit of sadness. Jacob, what do you think? How is it affecting your generation? Man, I, I yeah, like Kira said, it's a huge question. Um, but I think, I mean, the most, you know, fundamental thing that it's affecting is how we create our identities in this yeah. world. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I mean, my, I mean, sort of my topic that I talk a lot about is sexuality. Um, but I think in, um, uh, just identities generally, um, are being affected by social media. Something that Kirik was kind of talking about, but, uh, I'll add some vocabulary to it. Um, yeah, is how we, uh, create either experience based or affinity based identities. Mm -hmm. So Kira was saying like people, are getting really passionate about things of things that they've only really seen YouTube videos of. Right. And it's like, yeah, you see 13 year old users of TikTok calling themselves Republicans. And it's like, you've never voted, right. but the content that you're consuming is uh, now creating an affinity based identity. You have zero experience with this, but you have a great affinity towards this kind of content. And so it's informing your identity. Um, same thing with kind of like sexuality of people are being informed of like, um, you know, 
kids are coming out with no actual sexual experience, but are coming out with certain like sexual identities Mm -hmm. because they're have, uh, because they have an affinity towards a kind of content that they're consuming. Um, and so, yeah, like the, the biggest thing that I see that, um, it is affecting is how we create our identities. Mm. And even, sorry, really quick to add to that, even like less serious things, I mean, because sexuality and, and political, that's like really big stuff. But even with the small stuff, I feel like um, like um, I'm really big on like aesthetic, you know, the stuff, yeah, that things, yeah. the way that things look. And I think people really build their identity off of, you know, the way that they're, you know, I mean, it's always been like fashion, but just like oh, aesthetics no, yeah. become like part of who you are mm. instead of just something I wear because it looks cool. And, you know, and I think that's can be really bad as well. Well, if you're scoring at home, that would be an Enneagram four. <laughs> 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 um, so how do you see um, or do you believe there is a relationship between social media and mental health? 100%. Absolutely. Yes. And ha- And how have you seen that played out with your friends or even in your own heart? Um, well, well, yeah, for me, I mean, I, I mean, I struggle with depression and anxiety, um, and, uh, social media has, I think never been an uplifting part of that part of my story. Um, I mean, yeah, social media is something that creates a lot of anxiety, um, uh, around, I think three basic things. Um, you have, uh, place, intimacy, and risk, um, you know, place, talking, you know, as you're talking about people go out less, people are right. seeing friends and social engagements less in terms of like offline events, um, which is a huge blow to morale and self-worth when you're just sitting by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, intimacy, when you're just texting and you're able to just kind of, yeah, when, when, you, when, you, when you see a text come in, be able to just kind of turn off your phone, either respond to it or not respond to it. It's, you know, it's affecting your ability to have meaningful intimacy because you can't do that in an in-person uh, offline environment. You can't not respond. I mean, I mean, you could, you'd be crazy to, you know, somebody asks you a question you just walk away. Um, and then, and then also risk. I mean, it's also creating something where rejection is all of a sudden becoming a, a crazy, like just in-person rejection is so much harder to face because of online. Rejection. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when we look at how all of that, you know, place intimacy, risk slash rejection, how that affects your self-worth, your idea of self-esteem is immense. I see that every day. You know, do I want to go out and go on a walk with my sister? Or do I want to, you know, sit on my phone and watch TikTok? There is an allure to sitting and to kind of let this content wash over me. It, it's hardly ever positive. Well, which one's got the bigger dopamine? Right. Hit? Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 TikTok or, or walking with your sister. Now, Kira can can be pretty dangerous, so there could be there could be an, always a potential of a, a high spike in, in dopamine. Um, Kira Ashland, um, mental health, social media. How have you seen that played out? I definitely think there's a lot of anxiety that surrounds it when there's no divide between private space and public space. There's such a performative culture because at any point you could be talking to one person online, or you could be reaching millions of people at the same time. So there's such a fear in what you say. And how you're perceived that I think people are so, so constantly trying to create their perceived self that they lose entire focus on who they actually are. And there's such a disconnect between your body and your mind and your spirit now. People are so concerned with their digitized self that they lose touch with their body. And the Mm. body is so crucial to the church. And it's frightening that people are forgetting that they are not only embodied souls, but they're besold bodies. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Kira? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in so many different ways, but I would say, 
Um, geez, I forgot my thought. I had a point when Jacob was talking. <laughs> no, I totally <laughs> forgot. Ashlyn's point was really good. Thanks. Um, honestly, yeah, there's so many things. I mean, yeah, the lack of community, I think just not being drawn to do anything that has risk and, and all that type of stuff. Um, for me, it is, it's that identity thing going back to that. I feel like that's just really scary. And I think young people, especially like I really, really hurt for people that are, um, even younger than myself. Cause I know I'm like super moldable and I'm 20. Like I can't imagine a 15 year old watching TikTok videos. And I especially like really identify with just women and seeing videos of other women talking about their own insecurities and how that affects you. And you're like, Oh, I've never been insecure about that until now because you said right. that and that must be unattractive, you know? So stuff like that, it really scares me. I really don't want women to grow up in a, in a environment like that, but that's just, you know, the beauty culture right now. Yeah, you mentioned something that remind me. So when I was talking to your older brother, uh, Sean, and this was many years ago, but he seemed to be so frustrated. And I said, why are you frustrated? Because he was talking, he was thinking, we were talking about kind of what he wanted to do in life and his career. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, dad, I see these people on YouTube and they're like 19 and they already have millions of followers and they're doing all these big projects and they're, they're just killing it. And there's like, and so if I'm not killing it within a year, like I'm just going to feel like a failure. I'm like, I'm like, son, there might be uh, millions of dollars behind this kid. Mm-hmm. There might be a corporation that's yeah. propping them up. Right. Yeah. Um, and they may, or they may come from a really wealthy family or whatever. But that's like one in, a, you know, half a billion people who right. are, who have that ability and are using kind of social media to be this platform to like prop themselves up, whether they're an influencer or a brand or whatever. So is that's the part I want to explore a little bit more is the the anxiety. So is is there you know, is there always this constant comparison? Like I see uh, this guy or this gal, and either they're in great shape or they're really smart or they have this platform or they're doing this on social justice or whatever. And you're like, I'm never going to match up to that. Is is that part of the anxiety? Like help Absolutely. us understand, help yeah. our understand more about the anxiety. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know. You know, uh, technological changes, ecological change, the red dye thing, right? So when the mirror was invented, all of a sudden there's a new idea of what it lo- of of p- people were not seeing themselves, and now all of a sudden your identity is being reformed because you've now seen a mirror for the first time. Interesting. For that us, is. mirrors are everywhere, and they're and, and 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 it's not you know mirrors in the form of a you know shiny piece of polished glass, um, but these. Um, you know, these screens that are shouting at us, this is what you should be Um, in the the same way that a mirror creates the desire for implicit change of like, Oh, I'm looking at myself. I don't really like this about myself. This is now telling us, no, no, no. Yeah. You should not like that about yourself. It is, it is telling you explicitly Mm. what should and should not be done. And it creates an enormous anxiety because there's no way any of us can live up to that. Yeah. Ashlyn or Kira, like anxiety and social media, like how it fuels, how social media fuels your anxiety. I think for me, um, I feel like, t- uh, not necessarily only TikTok. I just, it's like the, the biggest one, but, um, I feel like, uh, social media in general, it really has conditioned us to make like such snap judgments, like so quickly, just immediately perceive hmm. all this information and then like conclude it down to one idea. And it gives me anxiety to scroll through like Instagram or TikTok or whatever. And I'm just making snap judgments about everything I see. You know, it doesn't matter if it's like a creative thing or something that, you know, a friend posted, whatever it is, I'm making snap judgments. You know, I'm like, oh, well, 
you know, I have like cooler clothes than that or, um, oh, they have like way more money so they can go on vacations and I just don't have that. That sucks. You know, like these really quick comparisons and and judgments about somebody or myself. And that's scary because there's like no thought that goes behind that. And, you know, it's hard to analyze something that you don't even know is really going on. Yeah. What do you think, Ashlyn? I think it's just important to remember that online you're seeing the best of the best. You're seeing the (laughs) 1% that can do incredible things and that can be disheartening. Yeah. So just remembering that, um, there is pe- there are people outside of just what you see online that are perfectly average and perfectly happy <laughs> and they're living very good lives not being able to do um, the things that the 1%, the half a percent online can do. Yeah. But I think that is anxiety inducing, seeing the best of the best, the perfect scenario, the really cool things that you see online. Totally. Yeah. So Jacob, you brought up intimacy. Um, how do you think social media is affecting your generation's ability for intimacy, dating, relationships? Absolutely. I mean, one of the most interesting things that I uh, recently learned is, I mean, I think we would all agree that our generation is a highly sexualized generation. So true. true. Um, however, uh, in terms of actual sexual activity is plummeting. Yes. And um, in, in, in her 2017 uh, Atlantic article, have smartphones destroyed a generation? Professor Jean Twenge basically like just goes down the line. She says the decline in dating tracks with a decline in sexual activity. The drop is sharpest for ninth graders, among whom the number of sexual active teens has been cut by almost 40% since 1991. Wow. The average teen now has had sex for the first time by the spring of 11th grade, a full year later than the average Gen Xer. Fewer teens have ha- um, having sex has contributed to what many assume as the most positive youth trends in recent years. Gene Twen just saying that this is really, really positive. I don't see this as like good news, prima facie. Like, yeah, it's nice that we're having less sexual activity, less, you know, uh, teen pregnancy and things like that. Um, but the reason why I see it's less sexual activity is because it's creating a, a greater anxiety about the inner self. Mm-hmm. Sexuality is a term designated for activity. It is the movement of gender and sex into the social space. Mm-hmm. But, Social media creates an anxiety around, oh, wait, wait, but what is gender? What is sex? And like that moves inward. It's like, wait a minute, I can't move gender and sex into the social space until I've actually figured out what my gender and sex are. Totally. Um, and so, I, you know, yeah, good news. We're having less teen pregnancies. Bad news in the fact that the reason why we're having less teen pregnancies is because we don't know who we are. Mm-hmm. And we're scared to get into the social space at all. Absolutely. People don't want to engage face less to face risk, with anybody. Less, yeah. Exactly. Because it's you don't have to worry about somebody's follow up questions or follow up glances when you're just texting them. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Kira, what about you in terms of dating or relationships? How do you think social media is affecting it? The one that I've noticed the most has been um, just the like the division of men and women. I feel like there's been so much um, coming out on the internet, whether it's on social media or not about like the differences and kind of these like, and, and a lot of it's really good. A lot of it is discussions that we need to be having about the differences and and how we should be dealing with these, um, like men and women in workplaces and, and all these types of things. But I think at the same time, it's really, um, at least, especially for my generation has created like such a divide I feel like women look as look at men and, and we've always been like, oh, you know, I don't understand men, but that's like a, a tale as old as time. But now I feel like it's like, well, they're scary. Like we don't know what they're thinking. We see things that men are saying online, you know, are men actually thinking this, you know, are, are they going to treat me like this? That, you know, story I heard that a woman told on the internet. Um, and I think men are feeling the same way towards women. It's just like the divide has, has increased, which makes 
wanting to approach someone a lot harder. Yeah. Ashton, what do you think? How, how does social media affect dating and relationships? I think in person getting together and hanging out is less necessary. You can have a group chat or you can have a group date and it's just less prominent because it's, you can talk online and you can talk on your phones, which is kind of annoying. Well, I I think what's part of the annoyance and like what's scary about talking online is like, it is a completely different experience talking online than is talking in person. And a huge part of that is like oversharing culture of like, there are things that people say online that I'm astonished by because one, they would never say that to me Mm -hmm. if they were standing right in front of me. There's things, I mean, I, you know, talk about like my own story in high school, there are things that I would text my friends that like, if I were sitting around the lunch table, I would never tell them right. if mm-hmm. I was standing face to face to them. But this kind of oversharing, let me tell you a bunch of intimate detail, seemingly intimate details about my life creates this idea of intimacy, this kind of faux intimacy mm-hmm. that creates a very, very quick bond, but it's also a quick bond that you can shut on and off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think one thing that's interesting about like an older generation looking in at your generation is Social, there seems to be like these things that are supercharged in terms of trends or influencers or memes that just explode so fast. And if you're not really on social media and you're not of your generation, it feels like there's these massive currents of information and ideas and whether they're good or bad or very entertaining that just like explode um, so how, well, first of all, like w- what's a meme for, for those who have heard the word, but they're not sure, like, like what is it? And then why is it important or why does it seem to be so, um, you know, just a big part of your generation and the way that you guys communicate online? It's hard to define. Um, one of the most interesting details is that, uh, so the, so the word meme and the, and the entire concept was introduced by uh, Richard Dawkins, the famous evolutionary biologist slash like popular atheist um, in his book in 1976. Oh, wow. And he described memes as the cultural parallel to biological genes. These things that... Say more. Re- <laughs> these, these pieces of information, um, pieces of information that basically reproduce themselves um, that are so effective at basically... Um, uh, like, uh, so, I mean, like talk about like human DNA, you know, all of a sudden it like touches another piece of DNA and all of a sudden it, it, it molds something new. And we can so see that with memes. Totally. It's one piece of information coming together with another piece of information, at least cultural information smashing together. And then, but that's happening thousands and thousands of times. But why are they popular? Like what, what, what is it about, about them for your generation that just, you guys love it? Well, they're funny, first of all. Oh, yeah. are, are most of them funny? <laughs> entertaining. Yeah, yeah, yeah entertaining. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 I think they're funny because it's that the fact that like it's a bunch of condensed information. So it's 30 references all in one image. You can look Correct. at it and you have this entire history mm-hmm. of like the past 10 years of the internet culminating in one, one crazy yeah. deep fried image. Yeah. Yes. It's like an inside joke that everybody gets. Yeah. And that makes oh, it very fun. Oh, okay. yeah. oh that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. That's a great way to describe. Uh, describe a social media influencer. Oh, um, that is somebody that I feel like they, okay, at least this is for me. This is the influencers that I see because um, they all <laughs> yeah. look really different. But for me, it's typically people that live a lifestyle that other people really want to live 
And so they watch their videos um, to be inspired or maybe to be motivated to live that kind of lifestyle, whether that's healthy or um, it's beautiful, it's aesthetic, or maybe they work out a lot and you're really into that kind of thing. They live a lifestyle that you want to live. Um, I see them mostly as a function of like the American corporation of just like this, 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 this is a person who, who has dedicated their life to selling something. So whether that be a product um, or that be a lifestyle, it's this person, it, basically exactly what Kira said is this is a, this is a person representing something that is a product that I want to have, mm-hmm. you know, um, whether it's Kylie Jenner selling you a lip kit and you're like, I want to look like Kylie Jenner. Like, like that is something that now is something that you can buy or, you know, you, you, you have the aspiration to buy or, you know, Logan Paul is a house or a record deal or, you know, um, PewDiePie has a, you know, a kajillion followers or something and you want that kind of attention. This is something that you're seeing people who have acquired it mostly through money. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, that is something that maybe one day I can achieve. Like the number of kids that you meet who are like, I want to be a YouTuber. Right. I want to be a TikToker mm-hmm. is enormous. Yeah. And it's because, yeah, there's a part of like status and money that comes with it. Well, I mean, it's, it's no different than my generation in the 80s. People wanted to be... Uh, athletes, people wanted to be actors, or right. rock wanted, star. you know, they are a rock star. They yeah. moved to Los Angeles or they moved to New York. I'm going to be a Broadway actor. I'm going to be in a band. And so we're all kind of chasing this dream. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that was so uh, insulated because if you were not in that industry or you didn't know somebody or it was so hard to break into that industry nowadays, I mean, you know, Billie Eilish and her brother, they make all their albums in their bedroom. Right. And most of these big YouTubers, they're making all their content in their room or in their house or, I guess, you know, out on a beach somewhere with their iPhone. But, you know, before that, you had to have, like, a professional film crew. Right. Um, and so it's, it's just amazing. So it's, I, I, I see a parallel with like our generation, your generation, we have aspirations for something bigger, something very creative, but now because there's the democratized, you know, of democratization of technology, anyone can make music, make videos, act, sing. I, I would, I would push back on like this. Anyone concept. It's like, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the cult of the seemingly achievable, you know, Billie Eilish, yeah, I mean, you could buy all of the equipment that she has, um, but there's so many other factors converging onto Billie Eilish and her brother that actually could like, like, like catapult her to stardom. Yeah. Really, what it's about is what's so interesting about the Billie Eilish story, what's so captivating about it is the seeming achievability of it. If you just had exactly what she has, and what's sad is that you can buy most of what she has. Yeah. Well, it still comes down to talent. True. Like your ability to take your creative energy and connect with another human. Mm-hmm. So whether that was in the eighties and you moved to Hollywood or eight minutes ago, you shot a video on your iPhone and uploaded it to TikTok, and, and it just blows up. Right. Um, that, that, that story or that ability has completely changed. And that, uh, you know, you guys have now have access to that. So, what is something older generations get wrong about social media usage? It's like, what 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 are your parents or your p- friends of your parents or older folks like? What do they get wrong about your usage of social media? I think the one that I was actually thinking about earlier in this conversation was because I remember talking about this in one of my college classes. Is um, I think a lot of older people think that younger generations 
are not literate online because, you know, the younger generations come forward and they're like, well, you know, I want to be um, skinny because of this like really skinny model. And then, you know, you know, their parents or something are like, well, that's all Photoshop. You know, can't you tell, like, don't you have the literacy to tell? And I think a lot of young people now we see so much media that we are extremely literate, probably more literate than the older generations because we consume so much media. Um, but that doesn't change us feeling awful, even if we know, you know, oh, the lighting is perfect and they've got all the money for all the skincare in the world or whatever it is. We still think, why don't I have clear skin, though? People out there have clear skin, you know, like it's just this um, we're literate, but it's still affecting us negatively. And I think that's mm. something that they can get wrong sometimes. Ashlyn, any, any thoughts about what how older generations kind of, um, you know, we we get wrong about your, you know, either the your generation using social media? The only thing that comes to mind is that it's not prevalent everywhere we go. So in school, your teachers can be showing you social media things. One of my projects I had to do in seventh grade was an Instagram poster. And I had no idea what Instagram, how that worked. So I was really frustrated with that project. Oh, that's Anyways, interesting. Yeah, so we had to make a instagram bio for like abraham lincoln or something like that so which that's not bad but just be aware that there are other people influencing your kids and if you don't get involved with them and have activities with them or and if you're afraid of your kids that's not healthy yeah like be advised that people are going to influence your kids if you're not the prevalent adult in their lives yeah um yeah i mean i would uh, i would say that the older generation often characterizes social media use as a young people problem of y'all kids on your phones. <laughs> but it's like, I, I mean, the amount of times that, I mean, like I, I think the way that a lot of our younger generation views Facebook is just old people ranting and raving yeah. about the craziest stuff. True. And but, but then they have the gall <laughs> to be like, really, you guys are on your phones all the time? It's like, Seriously. no, you guys are, you know, maybe not on an iPhone, but you guys are on the computer. You guys are doing stuff. And so... Okay. Um, Oh, that's great. That's great. What advice would you give to the church or church leaders in regards to social media or technology? Find other people that share your beliefs, Um, especially if you're parenting. Find parenting cohorts that are going to support you and what you're doing because it is stressful for kids to be told, no, you're not going to have social media at the age of five. And I understand that your friends are, but you, you shouldn't delegitimize their problem. Like your child's upset with that. But at the same time, I would say don't try to go at it alone. Try to find other people that share similar opinions because that's just going to make it easier on you. Yeah. Totally. Oh, that's good. One thing that kind of goes back to what Ashlyn was saying is, and something I've been frustrated about in the past, especially with like young adults, like young um, groups um, at churches, is they have um, Instagrams that tell you all the information and social media that gives you all the in and all the no. And uh, if I don't want to have Instagram, well, it kind of sucks if that's the only way that I can get information about something. So I would really encourage the church to always think of ways outside of social media and even technology if possible, but that's not really possible in this day and age. But, you know, I'm just thinking like creatively in order to get that information and keep the community going without it relying on that stuff. Cause I think people can, you know, like the Instagram um, project, it's like, well, I don't have that. So, you know, stuff like that. Um, I think really leaning into younger generations perspectives about technology before giving um, like substantive instruction. Like, I mean, like I remember Karen and I were having a conversation about this. It's like um, we were, we were talking about like sex and sexuality and dating from a culture where dating sex and sexuality were done so much differently. Mm -hmm. And so 
Um, and and th- that's that's a little frustrating to sit in the audience under you know like a position of power where they're telling you something like well th- this this I mean this does and doesn't apply mm. to me. Um, I mean it, it it may apply generally, but you're, you're not hitting at the specifics. And but like the specifics are the gateway to to getting into people's lives. Mm. And so I think you know yeah yeah before giving substantive instruction about how to use technology, how to engage with technology, how to not be influenced by technology in a certain way or how to be influenced by technology in a certain way is to lean in, ask really, really good questions, uh, try to get a good handle on the Gen Z perspective before telling Gen Z, here's how you should do it. Yeah. Great point. Well, Jacob, I mean, you mentioned that a church should think through before adopting a, adopting a technology. And if I was to think about all of the social media apps that are out there that the church could leverage. That's a, those are, that's a lot of content. That's a lot of management. That's a, and, and then also just oversight of making sure you're using it correctly. But then even if you have a church that has the staff and has the ability to create content, um, you, you also have to be able to do it really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if it's not authentic, right. if it's not really produced really well, it, you, I mean, your generation is going to tune out immediately. It's like, oh, that wasn't shot really well, or that's really kind of boring, or right. you know, the, you know, it just doesn't look right. Like you totally. can tell, you can probably, yeah. I'm sure you all can tell when you scroll through things or you've seen things. You're like, that's horrible. Like yeah. that just doesn't do it for me at all. And so, for the church, some churches who really want to try to lean in and try to be really relevant and reach everybody on all the channels, that's great, but. It's a lot of work. Totally. Like it's the, it's not the production easy. needs to be really really good and us for to, to engage with it. Yeah, but but also it needs to be like theologically robust. I I, I saw a video of a virtual reality baptism. Whoa. where someone is yeah. This is a this is an issue. Whoa. I mean, speaking of like the Facebook metaverse, yeah. this is coming to people. You know, like, you know, this is this is this is coming where people are thinking that they can participate in church the exact same way. When they're online is, no, no, I can be baptized. I can participate in the sacraments. Um, even when I'm in like a digital character form, it's like, no, you cannot. That's um, so sad. We're an incarnate being like <laughs> right. Jesus came in yeah. a body for a reason. And that's yeah. terrible to have such a disconnect. But Absolutely. a church is thinking, Hey, this is a new technology. This is a way to reach a sure. quote unquote younger generation. Let's do a virtual reality baptisms. Like, okay, you're mishandling the sacraments now. Yeah. That's yeah. a little much. That's yeah. crazy. Horrible. You know, who has a great answer to this question. Um, Seth's dissertation. Oh, I yeah. just a plug really quick. If you have not read it, it's incredibly, it's amazing. It's absolutely phenomenal. And it targets Gen Z and it's, is comprehensible for us mere mortals who are not Seth, Seth Trout. Like it is reason, reasonable to read. So I would highly recommend get a copy of that because it talks about this in way more detail. Strong plug for Dr. Seth. Oh, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's a great dissertation. And if you can't do that, King and Culture has a podcast on that. Yes. Well, hey, we're going to wrap up with a lightning round of getting to know our Gen Z guests. So keep your answers short. So okay. uh, we're going to start with Ashlyn. Just, we'll just kind of make that the the, the course of the, the answers. But uh, which three apps are most important on your phone? iBook, Messenger, Messenger. Is that what the texting thing is called? Mm-hmm. Yeah, iMessage um, and Daily Wire. Oh, okay. Um, I would probably say um, Spotify my notes app and unfortunately chase bank <laughs> i feel that that's nice yeah um yeah i would say safari um spotify and notes app nice nice uh favorite streaming platform uh netflix mm-hmm. i would probably say netflix yeah 
HBO Max all the way. There you go. They have Last Samurai in there. (laughs) There you go. So uh, if space travel becomes affordable, would you go up into space? Yes, sir. I think so. If it's if, as long as it's not like I'm gonna take ten thousand G's while I'm going up. If it's a reasonably comfortable flight, I will absolutely go on Elon Musk's first spaceship. All right. <laughs> absolutely not. You will never catch me on a spaceship. <laughs> why, why not? No Star Wars for I you. I am so scared of space. Oh, okay. Um, I'm relatively open to new experiences, so I think I'd try it once. I don't think I'd do it a lot. Okay. Mm. What's your favorite TV show right now? Or show on a on a streaming device. I'm probably gonna have to go with Leverage. Leverage. Oh yes, I love that show. That's a great one. I'm binging The Walking Dead currently. Okay. Nice. Uh, My younger brother and I are watching Severance. Um, I heard that was good. Great show. Yes, it explores some great, interesting concepts and ideas. Uh, In regards to work, do you foresee yourself working remote or in an office or out of the off or out of the house? Remote, I think, would be a good option for me once I have kids. I have such a passion for being a mom, so I think once that becomes a thing, then yes, remote would be very helpful. Um, I would like to do probably wedding planning and coordinating, so it's it'd probably be a bit of both. Lots of emailing, but also out-of-the-house work. Okay, hybrid? Yeah. I would prefer to work almost entirely out-of-the-house. Mm. Yeah. Just to separate like different spheres? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Smart, yeah. Understandable. And right on to this day, last question, what is your currently your favorite slang word? That really is. Oh, part dude, of, I don't even know teenage slang. We oh, ran into man. this problem last podcast. We did. I don't know any of the teenage slang. Um, or just what's a fun word that you just like? You know that that you use to define like a uh, an emotion or a thought. You two go first. Well, I think. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I was gonna say this is a dumb one, but um, I love the one um, bussin'. You so took if, mine. <laughs> dang it! Yeah. Um, but it's a great one. It's okay. just it feels natural to say. Okay. And bussin', what does that mean? Um, it means if something is good. So I'll put in a sentence. Um. These appetizers are bussin. Man, I, I that was my only one that I thought of that I like. I'm not a slang guy. In in what context do you normally use bussin? <laughs> oh, no, it's the same, you know, same context. I normally use it ironically. It's like when I was living yes. in Chicago, I'd get off a really like long train ride and be like, Wow, that train ride was bussin. <laughs> Ironic. Yes. It was it's always terrible. Yes. Ashlyn. First thing that comes to mind, this is just because my sisters say it, is they'll say fire, fire, just to mean that something's cool. Yeah. So I like when my sisters use that. So I'll use that. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Guys, thank you so much. This has been super helpful. Uh, I think this is an area that for most older generations, it's confusing. Uh, it seems dangerous. It seems like a waste of time. <laughs> but we also know as some adults, most adults probably also engage in social media. And so I think what we really heard was, you know, how do we engage technology and social social media that is responsible, um, that can be leveraged for the kingdom and leverage for our, our health, but also be mindful of, of when these things are kind of pulling us away from our family pulling us away from Christ and pulling us away from, um, you know, the life that, that Christ wants us to lead. So thank you guys so much uh, for all of you listening. We love you. We hope this has been uh, impactful and uh, we thank you. And in Lord, in uh, Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.